Hi, welcome to Loading Screen. My name is Tristan. And this is Reza. On today's episode of Loading Screen, we're going to be covering a bunch of different things. As you guys know, we're we're kind of recording these episodes and pairing with some game studios that we've been interviewing. And this piece in particular is paired with a game called Spirit Fair, which is described as a cozy management game about death. It's, it's a great game. I'm really excited for you guys to listen to our interview with the studio. The difficult part, though, was that uh, it was very hard doing research for these for, for this particular game. Spirit Fair is kind of split across a lot of different genres in a way. It's defined as a management game, but it's also could be considered a sandbox and a simulation game. And so a lot of these different things have been combined into a really unique game like, like Spirit Fair. So for this particular episode, we're going to focus on what I like to call this idea of like life simulation. And while this is a subgenre of like general management style games, what, what really differentiates this genre is this idea of giving your character a very concrete role in the existing game world and balancing out player choice with all of the different people in your world as opposed to purely crunching numbers or like building your own unique thing, like what a lot of other management games typically are. So yeah, that's going to be our focus for today. Yeah, I, I read Life Simulation and I was like, okay, <laughs> that basically can mean every single game ever made. Right. Like, yeah, a shooting game simulates the act of shooting <laughs> guns in life. Exactly. Your your hot take about all games are are rhythm games. This is an even trickier thing. Like all games are simulation games. Yeah. So it was this is like I said, this was a pretty interesting one to kind of focus on. So for this one, what I kind of did was really focus on the defining traits of farming, construction, and and kind of management. I think the core idea is that you're kind of working with the means that you have to grow or build something very similar mm -hmm. to city management. But I think what you're building here is is really a community in addition to building, you know, like an actual artifact to whatever you're doing. So I think that's that, that's really what 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 differentiates this genre from some from some of the other ones. I, I thought it was funny that we were able to break down life into three pillars: <laughs> farming, construction, and management. That's that's all you need to do, to be honest. I mean, honestly, that's basically what I do on a day-to-day -day basis, <laughs> farming, construction, and management. What do these things mean in detail? What do the mechanics look like? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, farming can obviously be very specific to actually farming, right? Like a lot of these games can actually involve farming for resources like wheat and, uh, you know, optimizing the yields of, of the place that you're, you're, you know, you're growing on. But what it's ultimately about is farming resources to kind of build or construct things. And I, as mm -hmm. I mentioned, the things that you're building are more than just a specific city or a specific farm. In a lot of these games, the most common element is that uh, you're ultimately working towards managing your relationship with a bunch of different people. Yeah. In the case of Spirit Fair, your job is to kind of ferry these spirits to their death. And, and you really have to make sure their last couple of hours are happy um, and comfortable. And so you're managing the relationship that you have with them in addition to the boat and the people that you're kind of, or, or sorry, like the actual environment that you're, that, that you're kind of building. So uh, yeah, it really comes down to resources, which is very similar to city building, right? It's fundamentally going to be thinking about how are you going to use the resources that you have mm -hmm. to get a general idea of like what direction you're going in. Are, are you going to rush towards one specific relationship for one person? Are you going to try to stabilize your relationship across a bunch of different people and try to make everyone happy? Or are you going to min-max almost and focus on, on, on one specific thing? So I think when you're playing these games, 
um, you really kind of have to think about what your core goals are um, and how you're really going to get there based on the needs of the people that you're kind of kind, kind of working with. And as I kind of mentioned, this manifests very differently across a lot of the subgenres that, that, that you're looking at. City building games uh, are obviously, you know, we have a whole episode dedicated to this. But the idea is to build the largest game. Farming simulation games, very focused on like resources and economics slash like, mm-hmm. you know, farming for specific yields and building the perfect farm. Whereas like life simulation games is, are very focused about your role in the world and where you kind of fit into it in relationship to everyone else. So yeah, that's really what we're going to be focusing today's episode on. Okay, that sounds great. Life simulation. I already have to manage one life, my own. <laughs> what is interesting or exciting about you get off work or you just got out of school, you want to sit down in front of your computer or TV and manage somebody else's life? Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's a great question. And I think it, it really goes back to this core idea of, of like creativity and freedom. Mm-hmm. I think like from the way that I, I saw a lot of these games are largely split across two main genres. One of them is this uh, idea of like completely free life simulator where you can yeah. kind of build your relationships with random people and kind of just do whatever the heck you want. And those games are fun because of the sheer chaos and creativity that that that's available there. And so for like a lot of people that like those games like Sims, it's fun to just kind of see what happens. You know, like every character in that game has a unique relationship and personality, but you really mm-hmm kind of have to figure out which ones you care about and there's also a lot of potential for just crazy shit to happen and so I, I think it's fun for for people to kind of explore that i think the second area that's becoming more popular is this idea of like narrative mm-hmm. spirit fair i think that this perfectly uh there is a lot of depth and emotion to some of these games that kind of delve into your relationship with with people and the stories that they like bring to your journey yeah. And so I think just as it's a very gamified version of just life itself, right? Like it's it's fun and interesting to kind of see how you build these relationships with people and the outcome of some of those relationships on other people, on your own journey. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just a really interesting uh, genre of gaming, honestly. Not not one that I historically have been involved with a lot, but it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting for sure. Cool. Um, so thanks for thanks for walking us through kind of that definition why somebody would even want to play these type of games. I know it's a very broad genre like like we were joking before <laughs> basically any game fits under this if, if you try hard enough maybe we can you can walk us through a couple of like the notable games in this genre and we can deep dive into each of them yeah absolutely so i mean i think um i'll start off with the one that i think almost everyone here will be familiar with which is the sims it's i think the most iconic relationships slash people simulation game that's ever been made really it's one of the best selling games in history selling nearly 200 million copies to uh, to date and it's had so many follow-ups from its uh, for from from its very initial version of the game. So it, I think everyone's largely familiar with the with the fundamentals. But for folks that aren't, it's a very sandbox focused game, meaning that you can really do whatever you want with it, and there's no core goals or real goals. You can do whatever you want, whatever direction you want to go in, engage with whoever you want, and and you'll still be largely successful. And the basic premise of the game is that you're given control of a world that's kind of filled with virtual people, virtual homes, and you're in charge of kind of building their out, managing their happiness and and managing their relationship with each other. Each person has really unique needs and personalities, which is pretty clearly outlined in the UI. You know, like you'll see if someone's hungry, if someone's angry, if someone likes to be flirted with, if someone doesn't like to be flirted with and things like that. So they've done a really great job of having individual people that are that have 
you know, their specific needs and personalities, and you are in charge of really managing and controlling the relationship that each person has with the other ones. The first iteration of the game was made in 2000 by, by a studio called Maxis. It, it largely set the basis of, of gameplay and direction for, for all of the future sims. But a lot of the, the, the future iterations kind of added more layers of complexity to it. So for example, the second game added this mechanic called aspirations, meaning each sim had wants, needs, and fears, and hopes that like everyone else does, you know, in, in real life, of course. Um, and this mechanic of aspirations influenced how the sim went about their their, their decision making and how effective they were uh, at, at doing things. As I said, the genre got massive really fast. Uh, it led to four future games. It's been expanded so many times that I think it's known for being one of the games with the most expansion packs ever made. They were going to make a film based on it, uh, but that oh. ended up being scratched, thankfully, because that probably would have been horrible. But they did end up making a reality TV show based on it called Sim Sparked. It was super hilarious. Uh, I mean, just the idea of it is, is hilarious to me. But they basically took a bunch of online gaming streamers or YouTubers uh, that focused on Sims, and then they made them carry out like a bunch of the tasks that their characters would do um, oh, uh, in the game. Yeah, so it was <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's interesting to kind of read about it because The Sims is a pretty, you know, well-known cultural phenomenon. Did you play it? Yes, I, I remember distinctively. I didn't have a PC back then, um, nor my parents let me buy games. So my mm -hmm. cousin, she owned The Sims. And every time I went over to her house, I would play on her computer. And <laughs> that, that that's my earliest memory of Sims. And I played Sims 2 a lot. Um, didn't play any of the new ones, but I, I do like it. I think the this probably um, kind of ties back to my life goals, but I focus a lot on the job aspect in The Sims. Like, <laughs> <laughs> wow, how telling! How, how telling! telling. Yeah, yeah. I I think the the biggest frustration in The Sims was building the houses because I'm really really bad at creative design, <laughs> but I, I do remember focusing on that a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the beauty of the game, right? Like, if you really want to be, I don't know. A workaholic in-game and, and out. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, theoretically, people would want to escape their real lives, but uh -huh. I guess you, you can do whatever you want, right? So if you want to mm -hmm. have a toxic work-life balance, you can do that in the game, too. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, I, I think the game is, is pretty interesting, right? Like, it, it, you can do whatever you want. That's really all you can kind of say about it. Yeah. I think the the most fun part is really just the potential for shit to go wrong. Like I think later iterations of the game have added like really insane things like demons and uh, like babies on fire and shit like yeah. that. So like there's so many memes made from the game for people who just like created like insane personalities. And so there's a lot of potential people just kind of get like wacky with it, which is interesting. Yeah. And I think I'm looking at the rest of the list here. The unique feature about The Sims is that it's more of a lives simulator or. Yeah because you can control all the folks in your family, right? Like if you marry someone, if you have a kid, you get to control them too. So I think that, that adds a little bit more complexity versus just controlling one person all the time. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely not like a singular person that you're controlling. Mm -hmm. Much more of like a, you play a God role in the game, really. Yeah. Which is which is an interesting take on, on relationship building. Yeah. I want to add one more thing because you brought up this like... Uh, sims sparked tv show there was a twitch streamer recently uh i don't know if you watch twitch a lot named germa and he did something called dollhouse which is basically yeah, i think i've heard of this yeah he was like 
basically a Sims character, the Twitch chat would determine what actions he would do. <laughs> and there were like, you know, little meters for hunger and you oh know, energy and uh, social and all that. And they had other streamers come in to interact with them. So, you know, even the influence of the Sims, even though it's been out for God knows how long, yeah, 21 years now, um, is still uh, continuing. Yeah, I mean, it definitely it has both a cult following and a very popular following, right? Like everyone knows about it, but there's also definitely a subset of people that are obsessed with it. Yeah, which is it's it's so funny to me watching some of the stuff people make. But yeah, so that's 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 the Sims. Um, the Fallen ones are kind of uh, a bit more focused, I think, in 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 what they're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. The first one is uh, is Animal Crossing. I think like everyone is familiar with this. It was it spread like a wildfire at the beginning of the pandemic. I think like everyone was playing this game. But the very OG one was released in 2001. And it was a game set in a rural village where your goal is to kind of like manage and build relationships with the various people that populate the area around you. Yeah. Um, and the, the cutest thing is like all of these people are, they're actually just animals, right? Like you have like Tom Nook and Isabella the dog and things like that. Yeah. And so, I mean, like, I think the gameplay is super open-ended, right? Like you can do whatever you want, can simply spend your time collecting items, farming and customizing the areas around you. And it's really great to kind of see what everyone does individually. I remember so many people were sharing videos and photos of their little island when, when Animal Crossing was all the rage. And it was it's just a little world, right? Like you can do whatever you want. But yeah. So the, the only real goal of the game is to kind of expand the house, which you do by selling bells, uh, which is just a proxy for money, really, to uh, Tom Nook, who you buy your purchase, uh, purchase your house from. And expanding the house is more than just literally growing the house, furnishing the place like however you want it. I think what really made this game successful, especially the the later ones, is just this idea of like gathering people on your island. Mm-hmm. So obviously, like people love the villagers, who are the, the 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 animals that can potentially inhabit your town, depending on your player actions. And th- I still remember people literally going out of their way to do everything they could to get a certain villager on their island. Yeah. So every every villager kind of has a unique thing that they want and like a unique thing that they're looking for. And so if you set out to get a, a collection of these, you could really make it your primary goal to kind of build that relationship and, and you know, curate it to to what that person wants. They recently released New Horizons on Switch, which like everyone was obsessed with. It's a really, really cute name, uh, game, <laughs> cute name. It's a really cute game. If you get a chance to check it out, I think it's definitely well, well worth the time if you're looking for something relaxing. It's just pure positivity. Like there's nothing negative about it or anything bad about it. It's just a good time. There, there's no combat. There's no, uh, there's no bad feelings. Yeah. The only, I think the most aggressive thing you can do is fish. Yeah. Or like steal someone else's villager. But like you don't even, <laughs> I remember people got mad. Like people would be like, oh, you came to my island and then you took Isabella or whatever to your island. Um, I, I think another feature of this game is that it's real time, even yeah. the first one. So it, like it, it kind of runs in the background, even if you're not playing it actively. Yeah, that's the that's the super cool thing for some of these games, right? Like you can leave and come back and things will be different. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily like like they're safe states, of course, but like at the same time, sometimes you have to step away from the game and kind of wait for something to to happen over time. Yeah, which is pretty interesting. I also loved the social parts of it in the real world. Like I remember when New Horizons came out, a bunch of people were literally visiting other people's islands. And during the pandemic, like people were literally hosting mini parties. I remember on Twitter, there was literally someone who had Elijah Woods visit their island. Uh, <laughs> and, nice, and they that's just, pretty like, cool. Yeah, they just like gave them 
cherries or other random shit. Um, and so, yeah, there's a very social element to this game. I think that like goes beyond just your island and, and into the real world, really. And I think just going back to the timing thing, I think I brought this up during one of the interviews, but like it adds kind of a weird type of stress and like dedication to the game that you're playing. Because in The Sims, you kind of save it, turn it off, you come back to it the next day or a week later, and it's exactly the same. But in Animal Crossing, you forget to play it for a week, and now there's cockroaches everywhere, there's weeds all over <laughs> your island, and, and you start feeling bad because like the, the villagers on your island are like, hey, where did you go? Right, like, <laughs> where did you go? So, I I have this hor- horror of like turning on the game again because I haven't played for a year, more than a year at this point. I'm just scared <gasps> of, of what my villagers are gonna say. I'm just imagining like Isabella with that like adorable smile on her face, just mm-hmm. like in the middle of the woods, uh, like with everything destroyed, and she's like, "Where have you been, <laughs> just, Tristan? <laughs> it's been years." <laughs> You left us, Tristan. <laughs> oh god, that's funny. No, I didn't know that actually. I thought I thought they would have I wonder if they have some checks in place to not make people, you know, feel too bad about coming back because I can imagine that's a mechanic that also uh, makes people feel bad about coming back to the game if they've given it up. Yeah. Yeah, so Stardew Valley is another really famous, well-known farming simulator game that was released in 2016. It was really heavily influenced by another game called Harvest Moon, which was released in 1996. And the crazy thing about Stardew Valley is that apparently it was created by a single guy named Eric Barone over four years. And he initially just did it to like learn and kind of practice programming. But after sharing prototypes and stuff like that, I think two years into development, a a publisher was interested in, in actually publishing it. So the basic premise of the game is that you're a character that's just inherited a plot of land and a house that was previously owned by your grandfather. And the pure focus of the game is really just you improving the farm and the house that you've inherited through standard farming uh, game mechanics. So obviously, like, you know, controlling your yields and and deciding what to plant, going out to get resources and and things like that. What really makes this game stand out, again, is is really the, the relationships that you build along the way. Because of the fact that you're kind of situated in a town called, called Pelican Town, um, in addition to the standard farming, your player is responsible for managing the relationships with all of the NPCs that live in the same town as you, which is called, as I said, Pelican Town. You can make friends, uh, and if you do things right, you can ultimately marry someone and literally help bring them onto your farm with you. Mm-hmm. The game is ridiculously wholesome from what I saw. It, there's no elements of stressing you out. And while it's definitely a management game in the sense that you're farming things and worrying about resources, the developer has explicitly gone out of his way to make certain mechanics like non-optimal just for the sake of like the overall positive vibe of the game. So for example, even though you could kill or slaughter the animals on your on your farm for meat, they don't allow that. Even if uh, you know you don't even if you neglect the animals, the worst outcome is that they won't produce for you. Uh, but there's no outcome of like a, I don't know, like a dead cow and uh, laying out in the yard oh, or something like that. Oh. <laughs> it's just definitely not go with the idea of like Stardew Valley. And certain mechanics are also just inherently unprofitable. So for example, like cooking, it, just, it from a mathematical perspective, it doesn't make sense. But you're rewarded in a lot of other ways, like the bonuses that you receive or, or, or relationships that you have. And so Stardew Valley is definitely like another example of just like a wholesome game that you can kind of play de-stress with and uh get like the the relaxing management aspects of uh, of like a standard management game but at the same time still worry about like the relationships that you have with people and things like that got it cool i've played a lot of harvest moon i actually never have played 
uh, Stardew Valley too deeply. I I believe I own it. I, I probably played like a couple hours, but I couldn't get too deep into it. It, it. There's like a lot of ramp up and you can like learn all the different mechanics. I think you can go mining, uh, which you can't oh, wow. do in Harvest Moon. So I, I I feel like I kind of missed the train, but but definitely need to go back and try it out again. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of these games, similar to the other management games in general, there there can be an uphill climb sometimes with mechanics, especially for, I think, Stardew Valley in particular leans into the management thing a little bit more than some of the other ones. Mm-hmm. So, it, but it's definitely an interesting, like, relaxing type game. I have a few friends I like to play it for fun. But yeah, so th- those for me were, like, the core games that kind of really are well-known in this genre, um, if you can even call it a genre. Um, but that have the same general vibe of, like, uh, building towards something, but at the same time, like managing relationships with the people around you in like a very positive, wholesome way. There were a couple of games that I found in my research that mm-hmm. kind of expanded the genre and were definitely trying something new, which which I thought were pretty interesting. One of them is called Moonlighter, which was a, a Spanish indie game developed by a studio called Digital Sun. It's a really cute little game, and it tries to combine farming slash relationship building with roguelike elements, uh, which is super yeah. interesting. The basic idea is that you're playing a character who spends his days dealing with customers as a shoekeeper, um, but in the nights, you spend your time going into dungeons mm-hmm. for battles that, that, that give you the tools that you need for your shop. It's a really interesting gameplay loop. One of the I actually did try this game unknowingly before this episode because it's on Stadia Pro. And even though I very stupidly bought Stadia Pro, this is one of the games that I tried out. Really cute little vibe. I didn't get to play it for too too long because Stadia sucks. But it was <laughs> is <it was> a <laughs> but it was a it was a fun little cute uh, cute game which I which I enjoyed. The next one is called My Time in Portia, which is made by a Chinese studio called Pathia Games. And it focuses on a world that's set after the civilization has kind of been destroyed. Despite that kind of like dreary background, it's it's a surprisingly uh, calming game from what I saw. The art direction is very relaxing. It doesn't look dreary at all. Um, it looks pretty calm. And your kind of goal is to um, be seen as the best builder mm. uh, in your tiny city of Portia. And so... The game has some weaknesses. It's criticized sometimes for its length and sometimes the complexity of its mechanics. But it's another great example of a game that's focused on building relationships with the NPCs in your town and kind of like building something that that like you view as special. And it also has a bit of a narrative focus because it's trying to uncover the secrets of, of Portia and like what came before and kind of like what could have caused this, you know, like civilizational collapse, which is pretty interesting. And the last one, which I, I, I discovered just this morning, interestingly, is this game called The Cozy Groove. Um, and it's really similar to Spiritfarer. The basic idea is that like you play as a, a spirit scout, uh, who's a character that kind of wanders a forest on a procedurally generated island. So the island is different every time. But the greatest part of it is, is the spirits that kind of dwell there. The art style is really, really cute. Um, everything is hand-drawn. And uh, the core gameplay loop is that you're really trying to attend to the spirits that live in mm. this random forest and kind of take care of, of, of their needs. So, like running little quests for people on the island, gathering resources along the way, and then building your own little cozy grove for the people that, that reside in this forest and are spirits. So really similar in <laughs> premise uh, uh, to, to Spiritfarer where you're kind of you know, taking people to their death, but uh, you know, it, it has a different art style to some degree and the, and the mechanics are, are, are a little bit different as well. So it, I'm kind of curious to try this one out too, when I get a chance, it was just released in 2021 too. So it's pretty interesting. Nice. I, I should have cut in every time moonlighter. Um, I actually did play that game 
I loved it a lot. Um, there's another similar game called Reseteer, which is a lot older, which has a mm-hmm. very similar premise of like, it's almost like a shopkeeping simulator, I guess. Um, <laughs> that one's a little bit more resource intensive. I feel like Moonlighter has a lot more narrative and story around it. So plus one to that. Uh, I just looked at My Time in Portia. It doesn't even look post-apocalyptic at all. Yeah, uh, no, it looks really <laughs> relaxing, but yeah. apparently it's set in a post-apocalyptic world. It's, it's, it's just hilarious to me. Yeah, and, and Cozy Grove also looks... Cute was the, the first word that came into mind as well. It looks like that also has real-world time synchronization, mm-hmm. which is always a fun fun thing to have. Yeah, the art style is really gorgeous. And in some of the gameplay videos that I saw, it's really interesting how they got the world to kind of like react to successful quests like for for the spirits. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, for example, literally it like brings color into the world when you like accomplish a quest that builds something for a specific spirit. And so there's a very, I think they've done a really good job of like tactfully making the world evolve to you succeeding. Yeah. Which is, which is pretty interesting. I definitely want to try it out. But yeah, have you played any of these other games? Like what is your, after kind of like hearing some of this stuff, like what is your takeaway on this genre? Would you be interested in trying some of these games out? Things like that. I played most of the big ones. Sims, Animal Crossing, Stardew Valley, Moonlighter I also played. Haven't played these near ones. I I think honestly, my biggest challenge is, and and the challenge that we're running into with this episode is that this is such a broad genre. Yeah. And even the gameplay mechanics that define the genre can be implemented in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. Like Animal Crossing is very, very basic. Moonlighter, although it's a variant on the genre, it's like you're, you're actually fighting things. Um, mm-hmm. There's a battle system. So I, I think it's, for me, trying to find the right implementation that really fits what I want to do. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I mean, I, I, I'm i similar to you in that I, I don't have that much experience with any of the major games, but even like looking at all of the other ones, like it was a struggle to find games that fit with the vibe um, that I think I would enjoy. Like, I think a lot of these are definitely interesting, but for like newcomers, it can be difficult to parse between what's actually management focused versus what's relationship focused versus what's narrative focused. And the only way to tell would honestly just be to like read a bunch of reviews. Like the genre itself just changes so much from game to game that it's hard to jump into it with one particular staple or something. Yeah. But yeah, I think, uh, you know, a lot of these games do a great job of kind of delving into building relationships with people. And I think for me, at the end, that's why I play a lot of video games. We'll talk about this more in our Spirit for uh, Spirit Fair interview. But it, when you're building relationships with these characters, some of them have a past that's influenced by the developers themselves. And I think it is kind of beautiful to see how those characters kind of grow and change to you addressing their needs, but at the same time, how you approach your style to the game based on what the characters needs. So if any of this sounds interesting, I would definitely recommend at the least checking out Spiritfarer or checking out some of these other games that we tried out. Um, I think they're, they're very unique. I think they show the beauty of how video games can be so similar and yet so different from each other in so many ways. Uh, so yeah, this, this episode was tough to research, but definitely glad I did it. It was a really interesting experience. Yeah, thanks, Raza. This was this was a lot of fun. I think just understanding the broad spectrum of games that really fall in here and bringing a little wholesomeness back. We're recording <laughs> this last, so after we talked about a lot of different genres that uh, listeners that you'll hear about over the next month or so, uh, this is a good one for us to chat about. 
Uh, as Raza mentioned, next week uh, we are releasing our interview with Thunder Lotus, who made Spirit Fair. Um, so we'll be chatting with their creative director about the game itself, how they approached, uh, you know, Spirit Fair in the life simulator genre, and a lot of themes and narratives that went into making the game. So thank you folks for tuning in this week to, to our episode of Loading Screen, where we did our research about life simulation, and we hope to catch you next time with our interview with Thunder Lotus. Thanks, everyone. You'll have a good day.